Hey, do you teach yoga? Have you ever trained to lead yoga classes to be a yoga therapist? Have you ever owned a yoga studio? Maybe even just wondered what it was like for the women and men up there in front of the room on their mats, leading you through endless Surya Namaskars, down dogs, and pranayamas galore? Well, these are their stories and mine. I'm Rebecca Sebastian, a 20-year yoga teacher, 10-year yoga therapist, yoga studio owner, and co-founder of a yoga-focused nonprofit. I've done a lot in the yoga world over the last 20 years, pretty much everything except had a water cooler. You know, a place to share stories, talk about struggles, successes, and find other people who do the same thing that I do. Welcome to Working in Yoga, a podcast and substitute water cooler for yoga folks to connect and build community, to share our unique profession, our challenges, and our journeys with the world. Friends, welcome to Working in Yoga. This week on the podcast, I have my friend Stephanie Munaz on to tell us all about her career as a yoga researcher. I love it when we get to talk to people who have made yoga their true career path. And I think Stephanie especially is an incredible example of this. She developed the program Yoga for Arthritis, and not only did she develop this program, but she also built a career path for other yoga teachers and yoga therapists who are interested in yoga for arthritis as well. That, to me, is the pinnacle of Seva. Stephanie has done such a service for us as an industry, not only building her own job, but she built a job for people to the right and to the left of her. Honestly, we need more people like her. But before we start our conversation, let me ask you to sacrifice your button-tapping abilities to the algorithm and hit that follow or subscribe button. Reviews are also amazing, so if you listen on a platform like Apple Podcasts that allows reviews and you would love what I'm doing, it would be awesome if you left a review. And this week on our sponsor, Sunlight Streams' blog, we are talking about the difference between recovery, rest, and self-care rest. The intention and activity of these kinds of rests are different, so if you want to know more, head over to www.thesunlightexperience.com backslash blog. Now, here is my conversation with Stephanie Munaz. Okay, so we're going to have the most interesting conversation today, and I'm really excited to have it. I'm welcoming, welcoming my friend Stephanie Munaz to the podcast. Stephanie, tell everybody who you are and what you do. Thanks so much, um, Rebecca. It's so great to be here, and I love the work that you're doing. I'm happy to be a part of it. So um, I am a yoga therapist, a practicing yoga therapist who does work with clients, um, mostly privately. But my main gig is that I'm a yoga researcher. So I study the effects of yoga um, and specifically for people living with arthritis and chronic pain conditions. So my work as a yoga therapist informs the research that I do and also my findings in the research world affect the way that I practice clinically. That's the coolest job ever. We're just going to end there. <laughs> like, <laughs> did you all know that was a job, you guys? Like, I mean, I did. I love yoga therapists. I love talking to yoga therapists. This is what I do within my business. Yoga therapy is the raddest career path. Will you tell us? Okay, so how'd you get started? What's your educational background? So that people have an idea how they can 
be you in the future. Yeah. And I, I mean, I, as I think meant when you talk to yoga therapists, I think many of us kind of took circuitous paths to get where we are. So I, I don't know that mine is necessarily a blueprint. Um, and especially the time in which I came up, um, you and I, I think are in the same generation things looked a little different. So I'll tell you how I got there, which is not necessarily how I would suggest somebody get there today. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I practiced yoga as a dancer. So I have a dance background. My mother was a dance teacher. I started dancing when I was a toddler. And I think that I found my dharma in a pivotal moment in my life when I was in my early teen years, I had had a crummy day, um, a, much ado about nothing, I'm sure. I don't even remember why I was in a funky mood when I got to the dance studio, but I was. I brought that funk with me. And I remember being in the dance class at the time when you sort of travel across the floor, you know, a couple people at a time doing a particular sequence. And so I was waiting on one side of the room and it occurred to me that I was no longer in a foul mood, which I attributed to the dance, which um, I would say that yoga, the physical practice of yoga falls into the same category as being a mind-body experience or mindful movement or meditation in motion or however you conceptualize that. I had been completely immersed in the experience of my moving body and therefore everything else fell away. And I remember I was looking out the window of this little dance studio thinking, oh my gosh, this is huge. This is so powerful. You don't even have to change the actual thing that's wrong in order to feel better. And there are people who are suffering a whole lot more than I am who don't know. It's like the ruby slippers, like they already have this and they just need to be made aware that they have it. And so that kind of became what I wanted to do with my life, which I thought was going to be neuroscience, right? This must be ha something happening in my brain. And so I need to figure out the science of my brain in order to understand it. And then I realized, actually, you don't even need to fully understand what's happening in order to help people experience it. So long story short, I ended up in public health, which is kind of how you change systems, how you you change because I I didn't have a vision of helping one person change their life at a time, although I do that. But I had a vision of changing the way we think about the alleviation of suffering. Uh, and I found yoga as a dance student because dance uh, yoga is often used as part of dance training. Um, and the breath work and the body awareness of yoga is really helpful as a dancer but I became interested in yoga in its own right, ended up doing a teacher training, as many of us do, to deepen my own practice, right? <laughs> Having no intention of ever teaching it. But as um, divine intervention would have it, I ended up with a position at um, Johns Hopkins University in the rheumatology department that started right after my 200-hour teacher training. So there are also a whole lot of serendipitous things that happened in order for that to occur that I will skip over just to say I walked from my 200-hour training right into a job 
as a research assistant in the Johns Hopkins Arthritis Center. So I started working with people who are living with arthritis with zero training, whatever, about how to work with that population. Because especially back then, 200-hour trainings and even now do not yeah. prepare you to work with these populations. And so I figured it out through humility, through partnership with the people who were showing up to, to understand, all right, I've learned this sequence that I am trained to teach you, but I don't know how to teach it to you, you specific person who has osteoarthritis in your knees or who had a shoulder replacement. And so we just figured it out together. And by working with people in the Johns Hopkins Arthritis Center, I learned how to practice yoga with that population. And that led to the study that became my doctoral dissertation, which was a yoga intervention for people living with rheumatoid arthritis and osteoarthritis of the knee. And the story just goes on from there because it was sort of a very ripe time, even though it was very edgy, um, there was a lot of interest in yoga. It was just sort of hitting that point where it was becoming incredibly popular. Yep. And you were seeing yoga studios popping up everywhere. And so there was enough interest in this kind of cool, sexy thing that like, wow, people with arthritis could do yoga. And so whenever I gave a, a research talk, it would end up in the news. You know, the internet was kind of, I mean, not super new, but it was a different world internet wise. And so humble little me, the doctoral student would be talking about how this was possible and how it theoretically could be beneficial. And I ended up making a name for myself in that work, which led me to create Yoga for Arthritis, the organization that trains yoga teachers and now yoga therapists to work with this population because it's not training that was available at that time. And I knew that the standard yoga class as it was offered then was not safe or appropriate for this population. So both as now a yoga therapist, having been grandparented into that world, and also as a researcher, having an understanding of the ways that yoga and life with arthritis intersect has kind of become my jam. So you've, you've said a lot of interesting things, but I want to wax nostalgic for a little bit because as <laughs> you mentioned, like you and I are sort of of the same generation. I had mentioned before we recorded, I've been teaching 22 years and I remember those days too, those days when you were seeing people and we were just figuring it out. Like people yeah. come and be like, I have this problem and I've literally tried everything except walking across hot coals to, can you <laughs> help me right. be like, maybe. And, and we would be off like co-creating their progress. Right. And I kind of, because now there's so much research and there's so many amazing people like you out there who like paved the way but I sort of miss those days. There's something <laughs> counterculture about that moment where we were sort of co-creating our jobs with our clients. <laughs> so, so I remember, Rebecca, we, it was when uh, my, my 200 hour training is with integral yoga and integral yoga went through this process of supporting their existing teachers in the grandparenting process. And so we had done some additional training that we made available for that cohort of teachers. 
Um, and then we launched the actual yoga therapy program through Integral. And I remember being in one of those classes that I was co-teaching and someone asked what we were doing to guarantee that everyone would get a job. Oh God. And I, <laughs> right, exactly. So, you know, my, my snarky internal reaction was, you know, when I got a PhD from Johns Hopkins University, nobody guaranteed me a job. Right. And your CIAYT is definitely not going to guarantee you a job. But what I said on the outside was, we are pioneers in this field. And yeah. it is our responsibility to make the job, make the job for you. And while you're at it, make a job for the person on your right and on your left, because that's how we're going to do this. Yes, yes, yes. I mean, it blows me away now how people find me as a yoga therapist versus how they found me 11 years ago when I first mm. started. Like, like, I remember when I first started and I graduated from Inner Peace before the credential was there. So I think right. you and I were right there before IYT made their credential. And I was going around a hospital saying, hey, I know you, heart patient, heart doctor, and I hey, hey, I know you, you're recommending yoga to people but you don't mean hot yoga. I know right. you don't. Like, I know what you're talking about is me. So can <laughs> I give you language so that you can, so they find me instead of Googling yoga near me and then like, oh, what do you know? Like hot power core flow 1000 down the street is where they end up and they go, oh, yoga is not for me. Right. And I go, oh, that's not what you meant. But now what I'm hearing is people in the medical field recommending trauma-informed yoga. Mm. And then they're at my door in no time. Like, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. That I mean, I think there are still corners where the first scenario is happening. Yeah. Um, what, what I hear is both extremes, which is you should not practice yoga because you could get hurt or oh. yeah, yoga is great for arthritis, go ahead and try it. And both of those are not sufficient messages. So what do you suggest for those of us who want to slide into working with specific populations? How, how are we languaging our messages out in the public? And who are we talking to even? Because honestly, I can't fight Instagram. Instagram's <laughs> going to show somebody a picture of someone in an incredibly ornate posture that none of us practice. Nobody puts their foot there. None of us do. <laughs> like, like, what would you say to those people who are wanting to work with like specific populations? Yeah, I, I mean, first of all, get training. Yeah. Um, you know, so I think that we could have a whole other conversation, Rebecca, about 200 hour <laughs> trainings, which yeah. we will skip for now. But 200 hour trainings, the best of them are inadequate for working with special populations. So you need additional training. And there are lots of continuing education programs out there. Vet them carefully because they are a mixed bag. And that's a whole other conversation about how continuing education programs get credentialed. Seek out someone who is incredibly versed in the population that you hope to work with. Of course, I will, you know, hold up my own work as an example. Not only have I been working for decades with this population, I am trained clinically and from an evidence perspective. And I also, um, you know, I, I have 
a thousand people plus of bodies that I've worked with, right? So you want someone training you who has formal education with that population, who has years of experience working with that population, um, and also who knows how to teach because you could have a whole lot of understanding of how yoga is applied to this population and not be able to deliver the tools that other people need in order to do it, right? So I happen to be a professor who teaches for a living, but there are wonderful teacher trainers out there who are excellent. So look at their materials, look at, you know, talk to other people who have taken their trainings and find out what they have gleaned from it, not the testimonial that's on their website because that's you know the best thing anybody has ever said about them. So vet, vet the program. And also if it's like a couple of hours webinar, that is insufficient. Like you really need some in-depth training. And honestly, I would look for training that evaluates you as a teacher. So if it's a completely pre-recorded self-paced online program where you watch a bunch of videos and no one ever gives you any feedback, that to me is also inadequate. You need somebody who has the knowledge and experience with this population, who can see what you're doing, hear the way you're languaging things and support you in growing as a teacher. So get trained, that's one. Um, and, and as I said at the beginning, be humble because even now, decades into this work, I am learning from the people I work with, my clients and students. And so no one, no matter how long you've been doing this work, is an expert in the specific individuals that walk into the room. What I like to say is, you know, I'm an expert in bringing the tools of yoga to people living with arthritis. You are the world's leading expert of your own body mind. And there is no one who knows better what is going to work for you. So we're going to have a partnership here where I bring what I know and you bring what you know and we figure it out together. And so even after a whole bunch of training, don't walk in as the person who has every answer or knows um, you know, every solution. When it comes to you know, where do you go, who do you talk to, I think the best places to go are where your population is hanging out. So you know, there's all this work where you can create the sort of avatar of your target population, but just think yeah. about, so I work with people who are living with arthritis. Where are they? What are they doing? Where are they hanging out in real life? Where are they hanging out on the internet? And what is, what's the problem they have that I can solve? And so I language um, what I offer in the terms of the challenges that I know this population is keen on dealing with. So that's sort of direct to consumer outreach. And then you have the other pathway that you're talking about, which is clinical referral. And so who are the healthcare providers that are working with this population and what do they care about? Because the person living with arthritis themselves may care about being able to get down on the floor to play with their grandchildren, the medical doctor that they're working with is concerned about some numbers on a lab sheet, right? And so what is the message I can offer to the clinician first to ensure that I am going to be a safe option and that also there is some return on investment? What's the problem they have 
that I can solve. Um, and I think humility is really essential there as well, especially because of the hierarchical structure that exists within conventional healthcare. There are lots of things that a healthcare provider would want to do to support behavior change and lifestyle change for their patients that they don't have the luxury of doing because they have seven minutes or 12 minutes. So I don't come in and say, I have a whole bunch of things to offer that you don't have. I say, I have the luxury of time to be able to spend with your patients and teach them some things that you probably would like them to know, like deep breathing and relaxation and <laughs> yep. safe, appropriate movement. And if you send them to me, here's how I can ensure that I'm going to keep them safe and offer tools that are going to be useful. Okay. So I've two very burning questions in my brain. One is you said something on this podcast that nobody else has said that I love that you said, and that is that you need to find somebody who's good at teaching. Yeah. <laughs> For some reason we like to, and I've noticed this is a trend overall in the industry. We like to call ourselves something other than teacher, like, like mm. facilitator or like whatever other certificate certificate somebody's trying to sell you like a guide or something we're teachers and that's a skill and you don't have to learn from us how to be good teachers you can go to a university and take a class on teaching methodology if you don't know how to hold a room or teach people how to do a thing like you can learn that skill it's a skill we need so thanks for saying that <laughs> Yeah. Rebecca, it's rampant in academia too, because we have this notion that like you get a PhD in a topic and then you're <laughs> equipped to teach that topic, yeah. which yeah. any of you have who have been to university know it is not nope. inherently true. And so I wish that we had more training in andragogy, right? So pedagogy is teaching younger persons. We need andragogy, which is teaching to adults, which is yes. its own skill set. And I think that's something that should be taught at the university level to future professors. But it's also something that should be taught to yoga teachers because you're talking about two kinds of teacher, right? The, the kind of yoga teacher that teaches their yoga students and then what I might call a trainer, someone who trains yoga teachers, yes. right? Which is a, another kind of teaching that is it, a separate skill set in how to convey information effectively. Yes. The second thing I have, I want to know how you hold that tension that we all have of being able to have one foot very firmly in Western research and science and the other foot firmly in the tradition that we're all sharing that comes from South Asia from very long ago. And we, I, I think we're best served when we have one foot in each space. How do you hold that tension? I, I love how you suggest that my feet are firmly planted <laughs> in both of those places because Maybe you're dancing I, between I both. feel like I'm kind of on shaky ground in, in both arenas. So um, I live in the space between. Um, I can talk the talk in both of those worlds and in both of them, I'm on the fringe. Um, so yeah. In the world of research, there, well, research is enormous and there are lots of con continua. What's the plural of continua? <laughs> there are many continua within the research world. 
And one is the spectrum from um, explanatory research to pragmatic research. So explanatory research wants to answer a specific question with as much certainty as possible. And in order to do that, you have to remove all of the extraneous variables and operate essentially in like a sealed vacuum of a laboratory to know what exactly is happening here so that I know the absolute mechanistic truth. The other extreme of that pragmatic research is like, how do things actually happen in the real world with all of the messiness and the complexity and the 5 million additional variables that are impossible to control for? And the work that I do is somewhere in between those. I wanna understand what's happening and why it's happening, but I want it to work in the real world. And so I can't be super extreme on either end. So it, easy example is you know in the yoga world the most pragmatic approach would be give everybody a pass for free yoga classes wherever they want to take them and measure what happens right that's super real world and the other extreme is i'm going to build this very specific very tightly controlled protocol that is going to be followed exactly to the t for every single person who comes in and it's going to be a very narrow scope of who is allowed in so that they all have the exact same issue and we're ad addressing it in the exact same way that's really not translatable to the real world it's super safe and probably really appropriate for that very narrow population. And so I, I dance in between those um, as a way of being relevant to clinical practice while also trying to really understand what's going on from a research perspective. The other is kind of like the head and heart dichotomy, yeah. which is not a dichotomy at all. And I try to explain this to people in the yoga world who say, or, or actually even in other integrative health fields like acupuncture, where I've spent a lot of time where people say, well, that way of thinking about the world just isn't the lens that we're operating through. It's not how our medicine works. And I look to kind of the Venn diagram and where the explanatory models do overlap, which is that in yoga, we are using skills of observation and of discernment and of right action and of equanimity. Um, and that those are also skills that are used in research science. It doesn't mean that we take the heart out and especially the intuition, which if you talk to most scientists, they would say that intuition is a part of their process. I get inspiration that may be of divine nature about the research ideas that I have, right? There are things that happen that are probably otherworldly in science. And also there are things that happen in yoga that are all about really understanding what's happening as objectively as possible. So I don't think it's an either or. So that feels like you're on the on the line of true tension like every day i mean because i can i can say code switch right if i'm going into a hospital yeah. i know what language i need to bring to a hospital setting or a university setting in order to do my job and i know that in my studio i can use other language that feels a little bit less tactile right it's a little bit more ethereal and a little bit more yoga as we would say um, to get the same job done. 
but you really are on that like middle line of tension, right? Like you are both. I really am trying to switch the code okay. <laughs> instead of code switch. So what I want to do, and of course, I mean, I have some credentials to lean on, right? Yeah. But when I go into a research environment, I actually want to bring some of the yoga language and help it become less airy fairy hippy dippy yeah. more like okay what does the sanskrit word actually mean what are we talking about how does the biopsychosocial spiritual model overlay the panchamaya kosha model so that it's not bizarre and it does resonate and then i'm going to do the other switching of code which is taking the scientific language into the yoga world so you know what am i talking about with inclusion and exclusion criteria on a clinical trial so that a yoga therapist is looking at a research study and it makes a little bit of sense to them so i actually want to teach a little bit more literacy on both sides so that the science world is more literate about yoga language and the yoga world is more literate about science language Ooh, that's a really interesting job and I don't want it. So good job. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I understand the, the airy fairy hippy dippy yoga language. I, I can, I'm now in this long enough to know that that was the language we used to sell what we did to the general population. Like it was appealing to enough people that people bought our goods and services. And mm -hmm. so then we were able to do our jobs. And so I have more appreciation than I used to. I used to have a lot of hate for that because I, mm. I don't, <laughs> like, I'm just like, oh, sweet God. Like, no, the chakras don't, they're not rainbows. It's fine. <laughs> like, like, like I used to, but now I, I can appreciate this is the language we adopted in order to sell our services. It doesn't serve us anymore. And so we need to adopt other language and you're on the forefront of having to figure out how we're not appropriating and also how we are taking this Western sort of scientific research model and incorporating that in because honestly, we all get paid more when that happens too. And that feels great. <laughs> yeah. And I, I, I wouldn't suggest that anyone do what I do. I mean, I'm pushing boundaries, right? If you're trying to gain acceptance and get your foot in the door at a hospital, that is not the time to no. be explaining, you know, what clashes are. But there is a time and place for that once you are accepted in that establishment and you can push boundaries a little. But until then, you do, you you got to walk the walk of the environment that you've come into. I, I just moved to California from the East Coast and I'm finding even there, it's like things are different and you just, you have to adapt, adjust, accommodate to the environment that you're in. Yeah, you you make a really good point. I mean, and this comes to the basics of like things that people have commented about over the years. I've gotten opportunities that other yoga professionals haven't, partially because I don't wear yoga pants when I'm interviewing. Mm -hmm. yeah. Like, like show up how you're supposed to show up in the situation you need to be in. If you want to work as a yoga teacher at a mental health facility at a hospital, you can't. Please don't show up with your bright blue pants. Just <laughs> wear regular. Yeah. Pants. And I think you also have to understand the power structures at play. Yeah. And so we're coming in 
with needs and wants more than they are, right? Yeah. So we we believe they need and want us, they just don't know it yet. But we're coming in with an ask. And so if we're gonna go into a situation where they hold the power, then it behooves us to approach the conversation in a way that is meeting them where they are instead of coming in in our bright blue yoga pants and accepting that they are going to embrace a thing that they don't know that they need. Yeah, I think that's, you've said exactly what we say about our students too, right? We need to meet them where they're at. In job opportunity situations, you also need to meet your potential future employer where they're at too. They might not know how awesome you are and <laughs> but be on time and wear regular pants. <laughs> if, if you take anything out of it, be on time and wear regular pants. <laughs> okay, great so, sound bite. <laughs> so, so tell us, so you went through a traditional educational background, right? Before yoga therapy was really a thing. Now, I, I feel this tension myself because I, while I have a BA, it is in communication studies, I'm not interested in higher educational model of things. What do you, do you think that people who really want to make impact still need that master's degree or that PhD? And it's not just about me, Stephanie, but <laughs> 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 listening out there. It's a like, really important question. Yeah. Um, I'm also a health coach and that, is the same questions are being asked in that field as well. I would call these emerging professions, even though yoga therapy, you could say has ancient roots, it's emerging as a profession in this country, in the like career paths that, you know, you understand what I mean by emerging profession. When a profession is emerging and you can look at established professions that have gone through this already, like, psychotherapy or like physical therapy, there's this period in the beginning where what makes someone a professional in that field is kind of uncertain. It's, you know, sometimes referred to as the wild west. And then there's this process of professionalization where it becomes codified. And then eventually it becomes legalized, at least that how that's how it works in the US, which is where we are and in many other countries. There are legal requirements for what is necessary in order to practice in a certain field that generally has an established scope of practice, the things that you are allowed to do under that credential that you hold. Yoga therapy is not there, at least in this country. We have a certification now, um, but that certification is not legally protected. So you can call yourself a yoga therapist, practice yoga therapy, and then the same is true of yoga teaching. Yoga teachers in the US, that's a registry. It's not even a certification. You get on a list that says you're a yoga teacher and we're saying, okay, to be on this list, you have to have 200 hours that meet a few requirements. But it's very, the requirements are loose. It's starting to change, but the continuing education requirements are loose. There's no qualifying exam that says you know what you are supposed to know in order to do this. And so we, as professionals, want to convince 
others who may use our goods and services that we are qualified to do so. Some people know what an RYT 200, 500, ERYT, whatever it is. Plenty of people don't know what that is. CIAYT is even more foreign to most people. There are some circles where that's understood and many where it's not. So we can agree as a field, this is what we think is the basic requirement to do this work as a yoga teacher or as a yoga therapist, but that is not legally binding. And something like a master's degree is understood in the world as a credential that says you have this amount of time and training and somebody has evaluated you and decided that you're qualified to do this thing. And so it's a little bit more to hang your hat on. It's not necessary. I think it's helpful. And, and something important to consider is where are you in the trajectory of your career? Because if you're 70 years old and you've been doing this work for 40 years, does anybody care if you have a master's degree besides your family who will be very proud of you. If you're 20 and this is your chosen career path, this field is going to change. And so the more credentials you can get, probably the better. And the, the more accepted by the establishment those credentials are, the better. The CIAYT will probably become more meaningful in wider circles as time goes by. And what has happened with fields like physical therapy and with acupuncture is it's moved from being a trade school program to a master's degree to now becoming an entry-level doctoral degree. So it's possible that that will happen in yoga therapy. We really don't know what it's going to look like. Um, but I think also find the, find the training more important than the credential and what it's going to say on your resume, find the training that you need to do the job well. And so if you feel like you don't yet have the knowledge and skills to practice at the level you want to practice, find that, whether that's through a studio-based program or it's through a master's degree. Um, and I think it's not a one-size-fits-all. Find the training that resonates with you as a human and with you in the career path that you have planned. And I'll just finally add to that, Rebecca, if you want a research career, you're going to have to get some training as a researcher. And so that's a whole other conversation. It's possible without a research degree to be involved in research in a variety of different ways. There are yoga teachers and yoga therapists who are part of research teams without being a career researcher. But if you plan to be a researcher, a research investigator on clinical trials or conducting research in a way that is central to your career, you're going to need formal training to do that. Yeah. And if that's interesting, I mean, I, I encourage all yoga professionals, if this is your passion, pursue that. It is, I was lucky enough to have the opportunity. I was a yoga therapist on a research study where I live. Um, and it is, it's fun. It's fun and interesting and fascinating work in it. Like I felt very lucky to have sort of stumbled into that sort of situation, partially by wearing regular pants. <laughs> <laughs> And that's so, the truth. <laughs> so, Rebecca, you're asking me the questions, but I think it would be helpful if 
you could say something about your experience with that because lots of people come to me and they're like, I'm a yoga therapist. I'm really excited about research. I want to be a part of it. What do I do? How do I do it? So how did that happen for you? I'm good at making friends. And that is, uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I would honestly say that is the best skill set to get you career-wise wherever you want to go. And mm -hmm. I happen to be very good at making friends with people who are on the team of physical therapists at a university in the same town that I live in. So when I just, I like people and I like getting to know people and, um, as a yoga professional, the more you're interested in other people and their work and less interested in telling them that they should meditate or do asana. <laughs> and, and I mean, I, I, I'm saying it ironically, so people chuckle, but also I'm being real serious. Nobody likes to be lectured about how you, oh my God, everybody needs to go to yoga class. That's not necessarily true. Be interested in other people. And I, I made friends with a physical therapist and she was like, I want to do a research study about how yoga affects balance of older adults between the ages of 65 and 85 you in and i was five months pregnant at the time and i was like bet i'm on <laughs> i'm on let's go <laughs> and and i happened to you know i went into early labor and all these people in this research study like called me at the hospital it was an incredible experience but if you want to be a researcher, if you want to be involved in those studies, you need to hang out in places where people are yeah. doing that work and just be friendly. Just say, I want, I want to know about you and what you're doing. Yeah. And I would say, so that work happens in academic teaching hospitals. So if you're a yoga teacher or a yoga therapist who is working in that environment, you're going to rub elbows with people who are involved in research. Go to the conferences, SITAR, but especially SIR, where there are a yeah. bunch of researchers who are focused on yoga. And when I'm hiring, so I conduct research studies and I am not the yoga teacher or the yoga therapist that is delivering the intervention. I hire people to do that. So I hire interventionists, yoga teachers and yoga therapists, and I look for people who have specialized training in the population that I am working with for that study. I, I look for people who have experience in the environment. So if the study is happening, happening in a conventional medical center, have you worked in a conventional medical center? Because it is a different world and it helps if you already know how to function in that world. And then also, and this is sort of um, the chicken and egg, but I look for people who have experience being on a research study because you know how a research study functions and how teaching in a research study is different from teaching in a yoga studio or even in a hospital. Yes, I, the, in, in, while I am never an advocate for people to like take a job that is unpaid, but if you want to get into this field experience, if you want to get into any field experience and up leveling your skill set in order to be able to do so is that and it's drudgery it's you're going to say i'm going to work for free and i'm going to work for free at this hospital. And and yes, I want you to get paid and I want us to all make a million dollars truly because the world will be a better place if good people have more money. But take the experience you can be paid in experience. In this yeah situation. right yeah. And when we're talking about, should I go get a master's degree in 
yoga studies or whatever it is, you're paying for that most likely. The volunteer gig at the hospital that is getting you an understanding of how to work with people in a hospital, even if you're not getting paid, you're not paying for it. It's just a calculation to do. Yeah, correct. And I mean, for the amount of times, and you referenced, you know, the registry of a 200 hour yoga teacher, right? I've worked in university settings and in hospitals, and never once has anybody asked me if I was Yoga Alliance certified. Not once, <laughs> not ever, not in a billion years. I'm sorry, Yoga Alliance, I pick on you a lot on this podcast, but it's true. <laughs> Um, get the experience, get to know the people and get trained, get trained in what you want to do. Yeah. So Stephanie, tell everybody where to find you so that they can get trained by you. Oh, well, thank you, Rebecca. So the the hub to find everything is arthritis.yoga. Just that arthritis.yoga. And that's where you can find my trainings for people who are yoga teachers, training for people who are living with arthritis and chronic pain who want to become yoga teachers, um, continuing education programs, offerings for people with arthritis, you know, books, all of that stuff that so there and there there are free resources if you just want to learn a little bit more and you can always contact me. So on that page, feel free to reach out to me through the page and also you can book time with me for a consultation if you want to talk about career paths, et cetera. That's something that I'm happy to do. And seriously, you need to check out her website. I was I did a deep dive on Tuesday <laughs> before we recorded. I did this deep dive and I was like, oh, she's built a career path. If, if this is your passion, if you want to work with people who have arthritis, you, you've built a career path to be able to do that. So that's cool. Thank you. Thanks for your thank, work. Thank you so much <laughs> and for yours as well. And thank you so much for having me and for um, having these interesting conversations that get us all thinking um, about a variety of topics in greater depth. Well, thank you. Thank you so much, Stephanie. I honestly want to listen to you talk all day long. Here are my key takeaways. First, Yoga therapists really do tend to take a roundabout way to get into their careers. This is true for so many of us. So if you feel like it is too late or you have a story that you think is too quirky, rest assured, your story is so many of us. Go ahead and investigate what it means to be a yoga therapist. Next, yoga near me is such a challenge for those of us who work in specialized populations or in the yoga therapy field. Make sure that those who are in your local area know to call you specifically if you are looking for someone who, if they are looking for someone who does your kind of work or needs a yoga professional who is different than what would typically come up from a quote unquote yoga near me Google search. When getting training, it is important to learn from experts who not only have deep knowledge, but also know how to teach other people vet your trainers and make sure that they can also teach what they know when you are seeking out new information and new learning. And speaking of training, feedback is critical when learning new content as a yoga pro, especially as you grow and evolve, being connected directly to your teachers is crucial to honing your craft. And learn how to teach. Learn how to teach a thing from a skilled teacher for adults. 
there is a tension between modern Western scientific practice and yoga philosophy and practice that we all hold as we learn more and dive deeper into the teaching of yoga. If you feel that tension, please know that you are totally normal. So many of us feel it, myself included, and we all strike our own unique balance between the two. And if you are lucky enough to be interviewing with the, as a yoga professional in a medical or academic environment, please be on time. And for the love of all that is holy, wear regular pants. Thank you so much for listening. I can't wait to talk next week with you all about some yoga red flags that were brought up in a Facebook thread of mine a few weeks ago. So I will catch you around the water cooler next time.